What up, squad? It's your boy, Dr. Peyton Vickers. I'm a licensed chiropractor in the great state of Texas. I specialize in rehabilitation and performance enhancement. I talk all things biomechanics, fitness, health, mindset, and overall wellness. I believe that life is a sport and that if you have a body, you're an athlete. So grab your whiskey, grab your wine. This is the Whiskey, Wine, and Spine podcast. Cheers, y'all. All right, y'all, let's get this party started. Welcome to Whiskey, Wine, and Spine. My name is Dr. Peyton Vickers, and this is the most popular podcast in the entirety of my room. <laughs> Boom, sucker. So, <laughs> so today we're going to be talking about low back pain. The reason why, just a preface, because this is really important for me, and I really want y'all to understand something. You have so much influence on what this podcast really talks about. Now, I will, for the most part, do most of anything. If someone has a question about fitness or anything within medicine, as long as it is within my scope, I will talk about it. So please don't ask me to talk about anything stupid, especially not politics. That's really not why I'm here. Um, but Dr. David Escalante, he's uh, one of my really good friends, someone that I consider a brother. I was at the gym with him literally a few hours ago. And because of his suggestion, I'm doing this podcast. He told me that he has his patients listen to this podcast to really go over anything that would help them or educate them so that they can understand um, maybe the condition that they have or fitness that they're going through or pain in general. So one of the things that he asked me to do was just in general low back pain. So I'm going to talk about that today. Um, how you get it, the most popular or not, maybe not the most popular, the most common I guess is the best way to put that, most common diagnosis disease. Um and kind of what, what causes it, how you get them, yada, yada, yada. So shout out to Dr. David Escalante. You already have a massive, massive head. Please do not let it get any bigger. <laughs> Sorry, I had to do that. Anyways, so let's get into the nitty gritty. First and foremost, we're going to talk about what pain is. Um, I'm not going to get into pain science because that's something that I'm currently reading and it does take a while and it is very complex and honestly there's a lot that we still haven't really unfolded. So I'm really just going to talk about what pain is um, at the most basic way. At the, at the most basic way? That's terrible grammar, and I apologize. So pain is there to tell us that there is uh, tissue damage or there's potential tissue damage. Best way that I can explain that is if we put our hand over a flame, like over a candle, what happens, right? We start to get a little bit of pain. And so what do we do? We move our hand. Now, does that mean that there is in fact structural damage? In other words, does that mean that our hand is burnt? Nope. That does not mean that our hand is going to be burnt because we feel pain. That's something that I really want to want to hone in on, if you will. Pain does not always mean structural damage, okay? If you put your hand over a flame, you move it fast enough, there will not be an actual burn. Now, if you keep it there long enough or if it's too close or what have you, obviously there's going to be some damage there. But again, just so we can dive into what pain really is, it's there to tell us that there is tissue damage or there is potential tissue damage. Again, pain doesn't really mean, doesn't always mean structural damage. Sometimes it does. But the reason why that's so important for me to tell y'all is because so many people with low back pain, they come in and they're instantly scared because they have low back pain. They think it's a it's a, it's a herniated disc or um, it's sciatica or something along those lines. Um, and that doesn't always mean it because we can get, we can get um, 
different types of low back pain, I guess, or different diagnoses sizes of that that causes different things or creates different things that we get them for different reasons. Now, the other, the other thing that I want to talk about is how pain really shows up. Pain really shows up for three different reasons. Blunt trauma, overstimulation, or if you're underprepared for something. Again, this is really important to understand because pain really isn't random. Pain is also in your head. Now, I'm not saying that does not mean that pain is fake in a sense. It is real to you and it is very important, but it is in the brain. Um, there are not pain receptors. There are plenty of different receptors within the body that create a formula, if you will, that send it up to the brain, and then your brain will create pain based on those things. But pain itself is not a substance, okay? So pain receptors is not a real thing because literally if they are pain receptors, they would have to receive actual pain. And again, pain isn't even a substance. So just so we all understand really what pain is, that's what's going on. Um, now, Again, blunt trauma, overstimulation, and if you're underprepared for something blunt trauma, hopefully everybody understands what blunt trauma is. Overstimulation. Now, this looks like, and again, just to kind of preface, overstimulation and being underprepared, they can kind of overlap a little bit. You can argue both ways depending on what's happening. Overstimulation, this would be someone walking into a gym and putting 500 pounds on the deadlift bar and deadlifting immediately. And that's that would be overstimulation, largely because they're not warmed up. Now... Listen to what I just said, because they're not warmed up, right? So they overstimulated themselves because they're not prepared. And that's really what's coming down to that. That's the argument that we're having, and it really doesn't matter at the end of the day because it's semantics. They're both really the same thing. If you're underprepared for something, this is why I always talk about warm-ups and why they're so important. I don't like calling them warm-ups. I like calling them um, pre-activity preparation, largely because warming up is just one little piece of the formula. You really want to warm yourself up one to two degrees, but there's also um, all kinds of different things. There's there's activation of certain muscles. There's uh, central nervous system activation type situations. There's all kinds of different things that you have to do during a warm up for it to be an actual warm up. So uh, blunt trauma, being overstimulated and being underprepared for something. I've had someone. Um, let's see. There was a there was a, a lady who went to Italy. Long story short, and she went from like 2,000, oh, was it 2,000, three, it was 3,000 steps a day, 3,000 steps a day to 30,000 steps a day. Whenever she went to Italy for two weeks, she came back with bilateral knee pain. Does that mean that she has structural damage within those knees? No, that doesn't mean that at all. She just, she just wasn't ready for it. She's not used to walking that much. So she just overstimulated herself. And that's really what it means when it comes down to it. So again, um, that's what pain means. It doesn't have to always mean that there is pure and actual uh, structural damage. So, um, and another thing is being overstimulated doesn't look, always have to look like a deadlift, like a 500 pound deadlift. It can look like sitting for long periods of time, walking for long periods of time, um, I hear this one all the time, right? I didn't do anything. I, I have no idea how this back pain showed up. And then lo and behold, they just got back from like an 18-hour drive to like North Carolina or whatever that, whatever 18 hours will get you in Texas. Probably, you probably still need to be in Texas with 18 hours because uh, secede. I love Texas. Anyways, so that's something that we really want to dive into or I guess understand is the best way to put that. Um sitting for long periods of time, standing for long periods of time, 
doing those things, you are stimulating certain things. You can have low back pain. So let's talk about the different types, I guess, of low back pain. There's not really like types of low back pain as much as there's just different diagnoses. Um, so there's myalgia or like a strain, if you will. There's disc bulges, herniation, protrusions, extrusions, yada, yada, yada. There's uh, lumbar facet syndrome, and there's all kinds of different things. But truly, myalgia, disc herniations or bulges or what have you, or disc, we'll call it disc disorders, just to kind of do a broad stroke across them. And then facet syndrome are really the three, the top three that I get. So right off the bat, we're going to be talking about myalgia. Myalgia, now this is not fibromyalgia. Fibromyalgia is largely psychological. Um, that's something totally different. And myalgia just means, so maya is muscle, myo or maya is Latin for muscle. And then alga, you can just think of it as like the dysfunction of, so the dysfunction of muscle. This can happen for multiple reasons. Um, myalgia really is, is there for, well, so I'll put it this way. Whenever I was fighting lions and tigers and bears back in the day, right? Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago, whatever, there wasn't a medical team to put a neck brace on my neck if I, in fact, did injure my neck. So what happens is my body has to create its own brace. So it gets the muscles that are surrounding the injured area, and what happens? It's spasms, right? Spasming is, and I've said this a few times on some of the past um, podcast episodes, um, but spasms are just a increased percentage of subconscious contraction. Now, these can become a little bit dangerous, if you will, simply because it is the same thing as, let's say, I'm assuming some of y'all have a water bottle or something along those lines in front of you. Um, so pick up that water bottle. Are you having any issues with that? Probably not. Now, I'm going to have you hold that water bottle for six weeks straight with no rest. The point that I'm trying to make is the bicep, we'll just, there's like, there's a, there's a ton of muscles that are actually making this happen, but let's just talk about the bicep for argument's sake. The bicep is is contracting to keep that water bottle up, make sure it's not dropping, right? The same thing happens whenever a spasm. So if we're talking about my neck, or in this case, let's talk about the low back. If I injure my low back, the muscles surrounding it will get tighter, right? That's why people say, I just feel so tight, blah, blah, blah. Um, the reason why is because, well, sometimes, this isn't all the time, but sometimes, your muscles will spasm for multiple reasons, but in this case, they do that because they want to create stability, right? It creates its own brace like I was talking about. So if you injure a joint or if you injure something along those lines, um, then the muscles surrounding that area will want to try to create stability because hear me when I say this, your body does not care what you feel like. Think about it. Your body literally creates these symptoms, nausea. Heartburn, indigestion, upset stomach, diarrhea. <laughs> yep, that was a commercial. Anyways, but it literally creates some of these symptoms, right? And so I obviously didn't care what you feel like. What it cares about is survival. It wants to send messages so that you can do certain things or stay away from certain things, walk differently. You name it so that you can heal faster. Your body really doesn't care about how it heals. It cares about how fast it heals. And that's why... You need to find someone who really knows what they're doing. You need to find a chiropractor, your friendly neighborhood chiropractor, who can intervene and quite literally, quite literally teach your muscles to calm down. Muscles can can be a lot like a seven-year-old or a five-year-old in a swimming pool, and they're having a tantrum thinking that they're drowning, and then you stand them up and they realize that they're in six inches of water, and what happens? They stop crying. 
because they realize what's going on. That's kind of what goes on with muscles. You have your brain brain and then you have your, what I call like your gut brain. A lot of times they don't really communicate because consciously speaking, you kind of know what's going on, but your rest of your body is kind of freaking out a little bit. So it wants to create those spasms to create stability. Now, if I have a rope that's two feet long and I have to make it one foot long and I can't cut that rope, what I can do is create and, and put um, multiple knots inside of it until that muscle gets, until the, the rope gets shorter and shorter and shorter. Now, let me be clear about something. You cannot change the length of your muscles. So I'm not claiming that. This is just a metaphor. But the idea is that some of these knots really come into play or an increased um, densification of tissue, if you will. Sometimes it'll do that because it wants to create the same amount of tension so that the entire muscle doesn't have to contract, but a little piece of your muscle can contract to create that stability. So now you have an increased amount of tension with that muscle. So instead of the entire muscle contracting, one little piece of it is, or that knot, if you will, um, so that it's creating that stability still. Now you have this muscle that isn't contracting all the way. So you're one, you're conserving energy and you're also decreasing your risk for an actual strain. Okay. So that's really what myalgia is. Hopefully that makes, that makes sense. Strains. Now there are four different grades of strains, grade one, grade two, grade three, grade four, blah, blah, blah. Strains are literal tears. It just depends on the degree of the tear. So some people will strain their muscles. My athletes strain muscles all the time. That's what happens. Whenever someone pulls a hamstring, no one pulls it. It feels like it's pulling because, again, it's the, the muscles are literally, literally spasming a little bit, so they are contracting, so it feels like a pull. That's why they call it a pull. But it is, in fact, a strain. So, again, that, that's what it comes down to overstimulation or something along those lines. So, overstimulation, again, looks like just walking in, deadlifting 500 pounds or just sprinting right off the bat. It also looks like someone running constantly that's what i had i had an issue um you know i broke my back in two places running track running track i, I broke my lower back in two places running track y'all that is the best way i can explain another way of being overstimulated is just constantly i mean i was sprinting and jumping every day every day and then after that i would go in the gym and work out because that's what we did every day i was i was being ridiculously active for like four or five hours a day it's insane so that's really what overstimulation looks like. Myalgia, strains, that's what comes to play. Now, disc issues, disc disorders. There's bulges, herniations, protrusions, extrusions. There's all kinds of different types of disc herniations, lateral, um, central, all kinds of different ones. But we're not going to get into the, all that. The idea here is that um, the disc is in between the vertebrae. Okay, So you have vertebrae all the way up and down your spine. Hopefully everyone here knows what a vertebrae is. If you don't, Google it. Um, in between those are discs, okay? So the disc's shape is largely dictated by the above and below vertebrae. If I push down on bread on a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, well, what's going to happen? The jelly is going to move out of the way, right? I mean, it has to because the more malleable thing is going to move out of the way. It's simple physics, okay? Um, now, typically, it's going to go to the left or the right. Central disc lesions aren't exactly the most common thing in the world. They do happen. They definitely do happen, but they're not exactly the most, again, most common thing in the world. Usually, it's going to go to the left or the right. A lot of people ask me, what's the easiest way to herniate a disc? As far as motion goes, it's tying your shoe, okay? Twisting and bending over. Flexion, if you will. Because of that, 
the vertebrae kind of come down on the front of that disc so it pushes out of the back. So that's one way. Usually with disc issues, you'll have some ridiculous symptoms, numbness, tingling, shooting sensations, stuff like that. Um, you may even have some muscle weakness as well. If you start having muscle weakness, you definitely need to go find a doctor. But if you're having numbness and tingling, stop waiting. Um, but if you start having muscle weakness, go. And if they say that an MRI is not warranted, they're stupid. You need to go find someone who's going to give you an MRI. Muscle weakness is not something to mess around with, okay? So with disc issues, again, the above and below vertebrae are going to dictate what the disc is doing. Low back disc herniations are extremely common, mainly just because of how much weight is on the discs, right? Because if you go all the way up to the, to the neck or the cervical spine, they're really only holding up the head. So there's not a lot of weight going on. There is, there, people do have um, cervical disc lesions, you know, stuff like that. That is very common as well, largely because of how much we move our neck and use our head and stuff like that. Um, the least common area is definitely the thoracic spine or the mid spine, simply be honestly, because of how stable it is due to the sternum and the ribs and all kinds of different stuff like that. Going off on a tangent, but as far as the low back goes, the reason why it's so common to go down there is simply because of how much weight is on each one of those discs, okay? Um, let's see. So I guess that's it for disc for the most part. If I think of something else, I'll pop in here. We're kind of just doing this on, just kind of winging it, which is fine. It's fun. It's fun. Um, facet syndrome. Now, this is something most people really don't hear about. Everyone's really heard about muscle strains, um, the difference between a strain and a sprain, by the way, strain is muscle tendon. A sprain with a P, like Peyton, um, those are joints and ligaments. Now, the difference between a tendon and a ligament is a tendon attaches the muscle to the bone. A ligament attaches bone to bone. So an ACL, PCL, MCL, blah, 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 all those things. There is no muscle associated with those whatsoever. It's just a piece of fascia that is attached to one side of a muscle or one side of a bone to another side of a bone. Facet syndrome. These are the joints in the back of the spine. There's a little tiny capsule around them, so you can get like capsulitis or something along those lines. It's quite different. It can mimic a disc lesion very easily, very, very easily. Um, but there's a few things that you can look out for. Disc lesions typically happen whenever you're bending over and picking something up. That's the most common way to do it. Okay, like I talked about, the motion is rotating and bending over, tying your shoes, if you will. Facet syndrome is quite literally the opposite. These people are people that stand for long periods of time. People who watch Netflix on their stomachs, right? They go into extension. If you don't know what lumbar or low back extension is, stand up and then lean back. That's it. That's what extension is. Flexion is, is touching your toes. Okay, so going into extension is the best way to do that. The reason why is because these joints, the facet joints, the lumbar facet joints, well, just to preface here, the entire spine has these joints all the way to the cerv from cervical, thoracic, and lumbar. Right? They're all the way in the back. Well, these joints connect. It's how the vertebrae themselves actually connect to each other, okay? So you have the vertebrae. The vertebrae is, or part of the vertebrae that we know of, that most people are familiar with, is that big block, okay? The big block that is sitting on top of the disc. But if you look at a vertebrae itself, it does kind of have a tail that kind of goes backwards. There's a whole bunch of different areas on that bone 
pedicles, um, TPs, SPs, spinous processes, transverse processes, uh, all that stuff. But what happens is these vertebrae, right? So it's vertebrae, disc, vertebrae. These vertebrae go backwards with the rest of their bone and then kind of tilt downwards. And then the below one does the same thing, but it also goes kind of upwards. So it's almost like a C shape, if you will. It's like a, like a hook. And that's how they connect to each other. Okay, if you, if, hopefully you can just look this up on Google because I'm having a really hard time trying to illustrate this over a podcast. But um, facet syndrome, um, best way to do that is through extension. If you could just imagine those joints, if you go backwards onto each other, right? If you go backwards on onto each other, you're really just cramming those joints onto each other. It's like getting your wrist and putting it into extension for a long period of time. Any of my gymnasts, my cheerleaders out there, anyone knows if you do a handstand for too long, you start having wrist pain. Why? Because you're just stuck in extension. It's the same thing. You're closing a joint. You're just cramming that joint down on top of each other. That's the easiest way to do it. So it's it's quite literally a sprain. Sometimes you can get a little bit of like capsulitis because there is a capsule surrounding the joint itself, but... Um, typically it's just facet syndrome. Now they look very similar simply because as far as the disc goes, the disc and facet syndrome look very similar because a disc has ridiculous symptoms, numbness, tingling, shooting, shock-like sensations. Facet syndrome has the same, the same feelings, but the pattern is a little bit different. So the disc itself has what's called dermatomes. Y'all do not have to look this up. Okay. It's going to get really confusing really quick. But the disc has what's called dermatomes, and facet syndrome has a sclerotogenous pattern. All you need to know is leave the, leave, the, leave the rest of it for us doctors. But the disc itself, because it takes up a dermatome, if you do feel numbness or tingling or a shock-like sensation, it's one piece. It's just one piece of your leg or your limb or, or, well, or of your torso, depending on where it is. But let's just talk about the low back. It's just one piece of your limb, like, a, like one little line. Okay, facet syndrome is known to take up the entire limb. You'll have numbness and tingling. You'll come in, and usually your doctor will say, "Where are you feeling the numbness and the tingling? Do you feel it in the front, in the side, in the back? Like point to it." If you say, "Now, honestly, I can feel it everywhere," it might be facet syndrome. So, let's break it down. How did how did the low back issue show up? Well, I was bending over and I picked up something heavy. Now I'm having a um, numbness, tingling, and a shock-like sensation going down the like the back of my leg. That sounds a lot like a disc. Okay, um, and just to preface again, these are textbook symptoms. It doesn't always look like this. Okay, you can have disc issues and not have numbness, not have tingling. You can have disc issues and not even know it. Okay, and if you do have a disc herniation or a disc bulge, please do not freak out. They are extremely common. Sometimes they just fix themselves randomly, okay? Usually low back pain will fix itself within like four to six weeks just by itself. So no worries there. A lot of people freak out about discs and they automatically think surgery. It's something that I see on a daily basis and I'm really not worried about it. There's a lot of really cool things that we can do for it. Um, the set syndrome, it, again, it, it takes up the entire limb. So this would be someone who's like, I don't know, I don't know what happened, um, I've been studying a lot, right? I've been studying a lot on my bed. Okay, so you, what position were you in? Well, I was on my stomach and I was like on my elbows. So 
your low back. So what you're saying is your low back was an extension for a prolonged period of time. Yes, that's exactly what I mean. And now my it's kind of like shooting into my glute a little bit, and sometimes my whole leg gets numb. That's what facet syndrome looks like at the end of the day. Again, these are textbook. They don't always have to look like this. Facet syndrome, you'll have a pinching sensation, if you will, um, whenever you go backwards. Everything will get worse whenever you go backwards or go into extension. Everything will start to feel better whenever you touch your toes and go into a flexion. That's the best way you can remember it. Vice versa for disc. Disc, it feels better or feels worse whenever you bend over. It feels better when you go into extension. Um, another one is SI joint syndrome. This one is, this one's probably the most argued one. Um, because some people think that SI joint syndrome isn't a real thing. Some people believe that it is a real thing. Um, mainly because the SI joint is, it's a joint that barely moves. Barely, barely, barely moves. Um, so that is just another one. It's kind of, if you, if you, those little tiny bones that are right above your sacrum that you can kind of point to every now and then people kind of think it's your hip. Um, that's really where you start feeling pain. So that would be SI joint syndrome. You can get that for a thousand reasons. Um, mostly falls. Falls are a great way to get SI joint syndrome or something along those lines. Um, so those are definitely the most common ways. Now, if you want to get rid of low back pain, there's a few ways that you can do it. Stop putting ice on your low back. Stop it. Stop using ice in general. The only way, the only reason why I want you to use ice is if it's the, well, not even the first 24 hours, but just a basic way of putting things. If right when you injure yourself, Maybe, but honestly, if it was my own kid, if it wasn't swelling that bad, I, I would put heat on it. Um, ice is good for symptoms, but it slows the healing. Let's do math together, y'all. What brings nutrition? Blood, right? So if you hurt yourself, you sprain your ankle, let's say, and you put ice on it, what are you doing? You are pushing blood away of something that needs to be healed. Stop doing that. So bring in the heat. It's probably going to feel better anyway. Keep walking. Keep moving. Don't You don't have to brace it for years or anything like that. Um, again, this really comes down to finding your friendly neighborhood chiropractor to figure those things out. So you can heat it up. Um, you can stretch. I'm uh, When it comes down to stretching, stretching is overrated. I'm going to tell you straight up. Stretching really doesn't do anything. It might feel better for a short period of time. Um, but it's really not going to do anything. The best way to create the glue, the best way to create resiliency to make sure that this does not happen ever again is to load your tissues. Go do deadlifts, go do squats, go do hip thrusts, things like that. Um, now, obviously, if you have a disc herniation, a true one with electric shock-like sensations and it hurts when you bend over, please do not go do deadlifts. That's not what I mean, okay? Again, you have to go find a doctor who really knows what they're doing, who knows the proper regressions and progressions to something along those lines so that we can get you back into that. The main difference between rehab and fitness is rehab is getting you back to what you used to do. Fitness is whenever you have new goals and you're trying to get to those new goals. So there's that. There's also McKinsey protocol for disc lesions. I do it every day um, simply because it feels good. Um, McKinsey protocol is McKinsey was, I forget his first name, but Dr. McKinsey will call him was a physical therapist back in the day. He had a patient come in, um, and that patient had severe low back pain. So it was kind of an emergency. So he put said lady on the table and said, I'll be back. I have a patient. Um, so I'll be back in a second. 
came back and the lady's pain was gone. And he noticed that she was on her elbows. She was like kind of an extension um, a little bit. So what he found was that certain positions help disc lesions, right? So that's why we know why extension helps disc herniations, disc bulges, protrusions, extrusions, yada, yada, yada. So if you look up McKinsey Protocol Low Back, he also has one for the neck, I believe. That's a good way to do it. Um, you can really pump that disc a little bit. Something that is good to know is joints really don't have a lot of direct blood flow, but they do have blood flow, a lot of blood flow going around the joint. Okay. So joints really are a lot like sponges in that. I don't know anyone who gets a sponge and puts it under the faucet, like really fast, right? Puts it under the faucet and takes it away from the water. What do we do? We get the sponge and we put it under the water and we move it around. The reason why we do that is because we want to create space that needs to be filled within the sponge itself instead of air filling it, water fills it. Now, this is the main reason why whenever you are whenever you wake up in the morning, you feel a little stiff, especially with our older population, largely because of, our arthro- largely because of arthritis. Um, so because of that, whenever you're sleeping, you're really not moving around. Right, so you're not pumping any of those joints. The point that I'm trying to make here is because there's no, there's not really a, a, a very good direct blood flow into those joints, but there is blood flow going around it. You literally have to move so that it can create a vacuum effect and suck over that nutrition, so the joint itself can become healthy or be healthy. Maybe not become healthy, but continue to be healthy and start to feel better. This is why yoga is so wildly popular. Why people feel so, I just feel so much better when I do yoga. Yeah, because you're being, you're becoming mobile. Remember, mobile has to do with the joints and active motion itself. Okay, flexibility has to do with the muscles and passive movement. Um, so mobility is really, 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 really important when it comes down to joints. So those are a few things that you can do. Um, really, it comes down to if, if you have... If something lingers, if you have pain that lingers, if you have pain that shows up every single time that you work out, if you have numbness, tingling, electric, shock-like sensations, um, anything like that, that's when you really should go see a doctor. If it's if you're ever working out, and I'm gonna actually going to do an episode on, um, again, pain science and kind of what to do and when, when to know when it's important, when to continue on, when to push through, and when to say like, okay, this is bad enough to where I need to stop and actually do something about it. So I am going to do an episode about that, um, both for you, and I'm also going to be doing a webinar for other coaches because they've been asking me what to do whenever their clients get injured. Um, so that's really it when it comes down to it. Just to kind of go back and conclude, uh, pain does not mean structural damage. There's three ways to create pain, blunt trauma, overstimulation, or if you're underprepared for something. Um Let's see, what else? Uh, overstimulation really doesn't look like, it doesn't have to look like deadlifting 500 pounds. It could be sitting for long periods of time, walking for long periods of time, standing for long periods of time, blah, 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 blah. Um, so don't freak out, man. Just take your time, contact someone. Um, please go find your friendly neighborhood chiropractor. Shout out to Dr. David Oscalante at the athletic room as well. If you're ever in Houston, Texas, um, find one of us. You know, we'll treat, we'll, we'll definitely treat you. Um, and if anyone has any questions, please feel free to reach out. If this episode resonated with you, share it on Instagram, all that good jazz. Peace out. Love y'all. I appreciate y'all so much for listening. Do me a favor. 
If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, and leave a five-star rating and review. To catch all the latest from me or if you're interested in one-on-one coaching, find me on Instagram at Dr. Pivik. That's D-R period P-V-I-C-K. Thanks again. And remember, dysfunction is the prerequisite to pain. Weak things break. Consistency is king. See y'all next time.